Brought to you by the Cannabis Bee Network. Here is the Cannabis Bee News with your host, Scott Jacobs. Hello, listeners. How's it going today? This is episode CBN 067-18-2014. Before we get started with the articles, I want to remind you, I also produce the Cannabis Entrepreneur Show at CannabisEntrepreneur.com. There, I haven't started interviewing any entrepreneurs yet. There's a lot of good information. News about cannabis entrepreneurs. There's also a listen and learn section where I'm starting to put together some business help information. So go check it out, CannabisEntrepreneur.com. All right, let's roll into article number one, Kumo to legalize medical marijuana in New York. The governor will make the announcement during the State of the State Address on Wednesday, the New York Times reported. Take it away. Cuomo to legalize medical marijuana in NY. The governor will make the announcement during his State of the State Address on Wednesday, the New York Times reported. By Joseph Spector, Gannett. Source, USA Today. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo will announce plans to legalize medical marijuana through an executive order, according to a published report Saturday. Cuomo is expected to legalize medical marijuana on a limited basis at 20 hospitals for specific conditions, the New York Times reported Saturday evening. Cuomo will make the announcement during his State of the State address on Wednesday, the newspaper said, citing unnamed state officials. The move would be a shift for Cuomo, who is up for re-election in November. As recently as April, he voiced opposition to the idea, questioning whether it could be properly regulated. But he also has said that he would keep an open mind on the issue, saying it is an evolving one. I do not support medical marijuana. I understand the pros and cons. I understand the argument. The Democratic governor told reporters then. We are looking at it, but at this point, I don't support medical marijuana. Twenty states have legalized medical marijuana, and Colorado on Wednesday began allowing recreational marijuana use. There was no immediate comment from Cuomo's office on the report. The legalization of medical marijuana has repeatedly passed the Democratic-led assembly, but has failed in the Republican-controlled Senate. Democratic State Senator Diane Savino said Saturday she was aware that Cuomo was expected to take a pro-medical marijuana stance in his address. She hailed his change in position. I think under his leadership, we can probably have the best, most regulated, tightest controlled system in the nation that provides real help for patients, she said. The Times reported Cuomo is expected to use a provision in the public health law that allows the state health commissioner to approve controlled substances for patients with certain diseases. State Conservative Party Chairman Mike Long knocked Cuomo's stance, saying he should focus on the economy and the weak growth in the state's population. Instead of dealing with social issues that appeal to his liberal base, he would be best doing all New Yorkers a favor and get New York back on track, Long said Saturday. Article number 2, CNN Poll, Support for Legal Marijuana Soaring. Take it away. CNN Poll, Support for Legal Marijuana Soaring. Source. CNN. In a major turnaround from past decades, a majority of Americans support legalizing marijuana, according to a new poll. The CNN-ORC International Survey released Monday also indicated that the number of people who say smoking pot is morally wrong has plunged. 55% of those questioned nationally said marijuana should be made legal, with 44% disagreeing. 
the CNN-ORC findings are similar to a Gallup poll conducted in October. According to the CNN poll and numbers from general social survey polling, support for legalizing marijuana has steadily soared over the past quarter century, from 16% in 1987 to 26% in 1996, 34% in 2002, and 43% two years ago. The survey found interesting divides on the issue. There are big differences on age, region, party ID, and gender, with senior citizens, Republicans, and Southerners the only major demographic groups who still oppose the legal use of pot, said CNN polling director Keating Holland. Two-thirds of those 18 to 34 said marijuana should be legal, with 64% of those 34 to 49 inches agreement. Half of those 50 to 64 believe marijuana should be legal, but that number dropped to 39% for those age 65 and older. Support stood at 60% in the Northeast, 58% in the West, 57% in the Midwest, but just 48% in the South. 62% of Democrats and 59% of Independents, but just 36% of Republicans, backed legalizing marijuana. 59% of men but just 51% of women supported making pot legal. Attitudes have dramatically changed. Why has support for legalizing marijuana tripled since the 1970s and 1980s? Attitudes toward the effects of marijuana and whether it is morally wrong to smoke pot have changed dramatically over time, said Holland. That also means that marijuana use is just not all that important to Americans any longer. In 1972, about a year after President Richard Nixon declared drugs public enemy number one, 65% said the use of marijuana was a very serious problem for the United States. Now that is down to 19%. The number who said marijuana is a gateway drug 47%, is down 23 points since 1972. The number who said marijuana is addictive 50% is down 10 points. And the number who said marijuana is physically harmful 43% is down 23 points. Clearly there are some reservations about marijuana, but not the widespread fear that existed during the original war on drugs in the 1970s, added Holland. The biggest change indicated by the poll reflected the number of people who said smoking pot is morally wrong. In 1987, 70% said it was, making it a sin in the minds of more Americans than abortion or pornography. Now, that number has been halved, just 35% today said smoking marijuana is morally wrong. Widespread agreement that it is not morally wrong may be one of the bigger drivers of the pro-legalization movement. The CNN poll was conducted by ORC International, from January 3rd to 5th, with 1,010 adults nationwide questioned by telephone. The survey's overall sampling error is plus or minus 3 percentage points. Article number 3. Tokers react to high-priced legal marijuana sales in Colorado. Take it away. Tokers react to high-priced legal marijuana sales in Colorado. By Russ Belleville. Source, Huffington Post. When the first legal marijuana sales in America began January 1st in Colorado, Facebook and Twitter lit up with posts by excited tokers showing their sales receipts for their first legal buy. Those posts were followed by thousands of retweets and shares by pot smokers nationwide reacting to the prices shown on the receipts. $400 an ounce? Asked one Twitter user about a receipt showing a purchase of an eighth ounce of Girl Scout cookies for $50, plus $14.25 inches taxes, for a total of $64.25. You can keep your legalization if wheat's gonna cost $65 slash eighth. Others noted the prices for the same strain of marijuana in their local medical marijuana dispensary, ranging from $20 to $40 an eighth. On the other hand, 
Reactions from talkers in the less marijuana-tolerant parts of the country ranged from amusement to disgust at the denigration of legal weed prices. $60 an eighth is what I pay here in Chicago, one Facebooker wrote, and that's for a short bag of what's available bought on the street from a gangbanger. I'd love to wait in line in the snow to have the selection, security and quality they're getting in Colorado for about the same price. Rachel Gillette, executive director of the Colorado chapter of NORML, told NBC News, it's a new industry, a new market. I think things will work themselves out in a few years. We saw the same thing happen with the medical marijuana industry before prices came down. Indeed, a confluence of factors has led to the initial high prices in Colorado including a limited inventory for retailers, thanks to Colorado's separation of the medical and recreational markets. Messenfert, Communications Director for Marijuana Policy Project and the Chief Petitioner of the Amendment 64 campaign told High Times that the current recreational shops were limited to only the number of plants allowed for their medical marijuana patients. Retailers had to decide how much marijuana to keep for patients versus how much to sell for recreational use. Now that these retailers can grow more plants for recreational sales, expect the supply to increase, leading to lower prices come late spring. That's the point made by Tony Fox, owner of Denver's 3D Cannabis Center. She told Denver's Isles Weekly Westward, it's all supply and demand. Once I can produce more cannabis, our prices should go down. I don't think there's going to be a lot of wholesale available on the retail side for a few months, and we can cultivate our retail plants until January 1st. So I can transfer my medical grow over, but that's only roughly 1,200 plants. After the first, I can grow 3,600, and then the prices will definitely go down. But some retailers were also guilty of jacking up the prices, anticipating the rush of tokers eager for the novelty experience of their first legal weed purchase. The Associated Press reported one dispensary selling a high-grade marijuana strain for $70-8 that it was selling for $25-8 on the medical side. Others reported setting the prices high to keep purchases small so they would not run out of inventory on Green Wednesday, the first day of sales. And with just a few dozen recreational outlets open across the state so far, pot shops don't yet have to slash prices to compete. Of course, the 15% excise tax and 10% sales tax on marijuana are also adding to the purchase price of marijuana, as well as the state and local sales taxes. Medical marijuana cardholders aren't subject to all the taxes and the price of a medical marijuana red card has dropped to just $15, so analysts expect many of Colorado's local tokers with medical qualifications will choose to get their supply from the medical marijuana market. Others will continue utilizing the black market, which is now enhanced by the legal right of any adult to cultivate six marijuana plants. That's a concern to Colorado State Republican Jonathan Singer. He helped write the law on marijuana sales and doesn't want to change the tax structure yet. However, he told NBC News, if marijuana continues to funnel into the black market, I'm happy to look at chalking the black market out of the legitimate industry by slashing taxes, but this is way too early in the game. For now, it seems expensive legal marijuana is very popular, with lines around the block at most pot shops even on the third day of legal sales Friday. As the novelty wears off, these prices will only be acceptable for tourists accustomed to high black market prices in their states and Colorado retailers will have to lower prices to attract the loyal local customers who will keep the businesses afloat. And if a Coloradoan still thinks the price of weed is too damn high, they can always grow their own. Article number four, is industrial hemp the ultimate energy crop? Take it away. Is industrial hemp the ultimate energy crop? By Thomas Prade. Swedish University of Agricultural Sciences. 
Source, Epoch Times. Bioenergy is currently the fastest growing source of renewable energy. Cultivating energy crops on arable land can decrease dependency on depleting fossil resources and it can mitigate climate change. But some biofuel crops have bad environmental effects, they use too much water, displace people and create more emissions than they save. This has led to a demand for high-yielding energy crops with low environmental impact. Industrial hemp is said to be just that. Enthusiasts have been promoting the use of industrial hemp for producing bioenergy for a long time now. With its potentially high biomass yield and its suitability to fit into existing crop rotations, hemp could not only complement but exceed other available energy crops. Hemp, Cannabis sativa, originates from Western Asia and India and from there spread around the globe. For centuries, fibers were used to make ropes, sails, cloth and paper, while the seeds were used for protein-rich food and feed. Interest in hemp declined when other fibers such as sisal and jute replaced hemp in the 19th century. Abuse of hemp as a drug led to the prohibition of its cultivation by the United Nations in 1961. When prohibition was revoked in the 1990s in the European Union, Canada and later in Australia, industrially used hemp emerged again. This time, the car industry's interest in light, natural fiber promoted its use. For such industrial use, modern varieties with insignificant content of psychoactive compounds are grown. Nonetheless, industrial hemp cultivation is still prohibited in some industrialized countries like Norway and the USA. Energy use of industrial hemp is today very limited. There are few countries in which hemp has been commercialized as an energy crop. Sweden is one, and has a small commercial production of hemp briquettes. Hemp briquettes are more expensive than wood-based briquettes, but sell reasonably well on regional markets. Large-scale energy uses of hemp have also been suggested. Biogas production from hemp could compete with production from maize, especially in cold climate regions such as northern Europe and Canada. Ethanol production is possible from the whole hemp plant, and biodiesel can be produced from the oil pressed from hemp seeds. Biodiesel production from hemp seed oil has been shown to overall have a much lower environmental impact than fossil diesel. Indeed, the environmental benefits of hemp have been praised highly, since hemp cultivation requires very limited amounts of pesticide. Few insect pests are known to exist in hemp crops and fungal diseases are rare. Since hemp plants shade the ground quickly after sowing, they can outgrow weeds, a trait interesting especially for organic farmers. Still, a weed-free seedbed is required. And without nitrogen fertilization hemp won't grow as vigorously as is often suggested. So, as with any other crop, it takes good agricultural practice to grow hemp right. Being an annual crop, hemp functions very well in crop rotations. Here it may function as a break crop, reducing the occurrence of pests, particularly in cereal production. Farmers interested in cultivating energy crops are often hesitant about tying fields into the production of perennial energy crops such as willow. Due to the high self-tolerance of hemp, cultivation over two to three years in the same field does not lead to significant biomass yield losses. Small-scale production of hemp briquettes has also proven economically feasible. However, Using whole crop hemp or any other crop for energy production is not the overall solution. Before producing energy from the residues it is certainly more environmentally friendly to use fibers, oils or other compounds of hemp. Even energy in the fiber products can be used when the products become waste. Recycling plant nutrients to the field, such as in biogas residue, can contribute to lower greenhouse gas emissions from crop production. Sustainable bioenergy production is not easy, and a diversity of crops will be needed. Industrial hemp is not the ultimate energy crop. Still, if cultivated on good soil with decent fertilization, 
hemp can certainly be an environmentally sound crop for bioenergy production and for other industrial uses as well. Article number 5. Here's an update tally of all the people who have ever died from a marijuana overdose. <laughs> Take it away. Here's an updated tally of all the people who have ever died from a marijuana overdose. By Nick Ling. Source, Huffington Post. With recreational pop now for sale in Colorado and widespread confusion over a recent satirical story that jokingly claimed 37 people had already died of a marijuana overdose, we figured it might be about time to update our weed death count. Yeah, not a single person has ever died from a weed overdose. We don't have numbers on pandas, but we're guessing it's about the same. According to one frequently cited study, a marijuana smoker would have to consume 20,000 to 40,000 times the amount of THC in a joint in order to be at risk of dying. Last summer, Attorney General Eric Holder announced that the federal government wouldn't intervene as Colorado and Washington state implement plans for a system of legalized marijuana for adults. The decision opened the floodgates for other states to pursue similar legalization efforts and outraged police groups apparently not excited to see a shift away from the failed war on drugs. In a joint letter written to Holder at the time, law enforcement organizations warned that his move would lead to more crime, violence and even death. While high driving may be a concern, Colorado, Washington and federal authorities have all taken steps to keep people off the road after using marijuana. The two states both have their own restrictions, and Holder said in his statement that the DOJ would still prosecute individuals or entities to prevent drug driving. The police groups also made a number of additional controversial claims that marijuana use itself leads to violent behavior, suicidal thoughts and interest in harder drugs. Scientific studies have not been able to prove this causation conclusively, however, and research has also suggested that THC has significant therapeutic value to patients suffering from cancer, AIDS or glaucoma. None of this is to say that the nation doesn't struggle with broader issues of drug and alcohol abuse and overdose. Drug policy reformers and activists gathered around the world last year to discuss the overdose epidemic. In 2010, overdoses were responsible for 38,329 deaths. 60% of those were related to prescription drugs. In the same year, a total of 25,692 persons died of alcohol-induced causes, including accidental poisoning and disease from dependent use. That's all I have for this episode. Now remember, go check out The Cannabis Entrepreneur if you're anything to do with entrepreneurship. Until next time, have a good day, good night, good week, bye-bye. We pollinated your minds. Now, go pollinate the world.